I think this is the first time I've ever missed my cue. <laughs> Man, this is embarrassing. This is crazy. And I've got a guest here today, too. I'm sorry. This is embarrassing. I, I'll do better next time, I promise. Um, so um, I want to open up to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter, uh, and I know we've been in Luke all year, but we're going to be in chapter um, um, 1 uh, here in just a minute. And I wanted to share with you the story of Zechariah. Um, for the last few years, uh, Melinda and I have been... Uh, with our family, have been going to listen to the Larimer County Chorale. Um, I think, is, is it the First United Methodist where they, they sing? Is that right? Uh, it's one of the most amazing things, but Christmas is is um, just an amazing time of year for me. And going to listen to a, a choir is is beautiful. Um, but every year, you go and listen to it, and you hear a lot of Latin phrases, and you hear a lot of Latin songs. And you're going to see terms like, um, like uh, this one here, Benedictus, uh, Nunc Dimittis, um, the Magnificat, that's one we're more familiar with. Um, um, and Excelsis, Glory and Excelsis Deo, you're going to hear expressions like that. When I was a little kid, um, I went to a Lutheran school for a while, and I was in their little choir, and we sang these little songs. And so I always knew the Latin expressions, but had no idea what they meant. And, and you're probably just like me. Um, but the song we're going to focus on this morning, and over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the songs of Christmas and even though we're going to talk about some of the songs we sing, like Joy to the World, we sang this morning, I'm actually focusing on the songs of Luke. The book of Luke opens the first two chapters with, with four songs. And that's where these Latin expressions come from. The song of Zechariah, the song of Simeon, the song of Mary, the song of the angels. And so Luke opens with songs and everyone Oh, just overwhelming with the spirit of joy comes before God in song. Um, this is um, um, how Luke 1 opens, just beginning in verse 5. I just want to read this story to you of Zechariah. This is how Luke chose to open the gospel with Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Most of your versions um, are going to say very old, uh, and, and that's very accurate. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving priest as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood. Now, before I keep reading, I want to tell you a little bit about that custom. You know that that's, that's actually not from the Old Testament, this idea that as priest you would be chosen by lot. What he's referring to here is the lighting of incense before um, God in the temple. And a priest every day would be would go and light incense and burn incense before God in this temple. Now, of course, there were way more priests than there were opportunities to do this. You only got to do this once in your life if you got to do it. Now, he is very old. He's never had the opportunity to do this. The reason they chose them by lot is the priests would fight. Um, according to the Talmud, the, the, the priests would fight... Um, about getting to the temple and they would race to the temple stairs until one time one of the priests broke their leg on the temple stairs. And when that happened, they began this tradition of choosing by lot who would go because they're going to get rid of the fighting and these old men, 90 years old, don't want to race to the temple stairs. 
And so that's how this idea of choosing by lot. Now, the way it was done uh, traditionally is you would put out a number of fingers on each hand and you would stand in a circle with those that were um, able to, to serve in this way and they would count fingers. They would choose a number, count fingers, and you are the one for today. This man is old. He's never had this opportunity. He has no children. His life is about to be turned around dramatically. Because just in one day, he's about to find out, yes, you are going to be chosen. Today is your day, once in a lifetime, to come into the holy place of God. Today, you're going to find out you have a son. Today, you're going to find out that your son is the forerunner of the Savior. Today, you're going to find out that the Savior is coming. This is the biggest day in his life. Um, it goes on and it says this. Um, in verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Um, The story goes on that Zechariah is, is filled with disbelief, and he's made mute. He can't hear And he cannot speak because he doesn't believe this. And he leaves the temple. Now, get this story. He's the first person to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Zechariah is the very first person to receive the gospel. And he can't tell anyone. He can't speak. I'm loving this opportunity because I got to preach the same sermon almost about a year ago, and I was mute when I preached the sermon. You might remember this. Go back and listen to the recording that you can't hear. I, I can barely speak, and I was emotional because I was starting to feel what Zechariah must have been f- feeling, to be overwhelmed with joy, to be overwhelmed with this message that you can't deliver. And so he goes, and he's muted. He can't speak. Now, here's the bigger picture. It's been 400 years since any revelation from God. Malachi, the last thing written, the last thing spoken. Now, I just want to share with you what the close of the Old Testament says. And even chronologically, this is the close of the Old Testament. These words. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. In verse 5 it says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the children of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, those are two beautiful verses that close the Old Testament. If you're looking at Malachi chapter 4 right now, you'll, you'll be thinking, Jeff, you put those ellipses there on purpose because all of the verses between those are extremely dark and gross. You took out that stuff. Well, yeah, Malachi closes with this idea of, you know how God's a gardener. He plants a garden in Eden. 
And throughout Isaiah and Ezekiel and in books like Malachi, he goes back to this idea that his people are his garden. They're a forest. They're like trees. And this, in Isaiah especially, it shows how the trees are going to be mowed down, that they've rebelled against him. And it shows that because of sin, it's like gives this image of a burnt down forest. And that is the context in which God makes this promise of what we call the root of Jesse or the, the sprig. And what it is, is it's this idea that in this burnt down, destroyed forest, you have one sign of life, one new, new sprig that says a new forest is going to be, is going to come out of this. The same imagery is used of darkness in a time of darkness, but the sun will rise with healing in its wings. And so the prophecies of the Messiah are given in those, that kind of imagery of new growth in a forest, uh, a sun rising on a period of darkness. And that is what they were left with. Now, for 400 years, I want you to see if this sounds familiar. For 400 years, they were living in darkness. Then a baby is born. And that baby... A king is trying to kill that baby. Does this sound like Moses? It's been 400 years. The king is trying to kill the baby. They hide the baby. The baby is going to, uh, there's going to be a sacrifice. And, and the sacrifice on Passover, the people will be delivered. The entire story, the entire narrative of Christ is built on Moses. Um, even down to the 400 years leading up to it. And so after this period of darkness, after this period of silence, all of a sudden God's voice comes forth um, and Zechariah receives this promise. Later in the, in the book of uh, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 67, um, Zechariah, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to circumcise the child and the people ask, they said, so we're going to name your son Zechariah, right? That's your, that's your name. That's your family name. And then the mom just cries out, no, his name will be John, meaning the grace of God. It's what the angel told him to name the son. And then as soon as Zechariah says, yes, his name's going to be John, then all of a sudden he can speak. And for the first time, after you've been silenced, and you're the first person to receive the gospel of Christ, these are the words that come out of your mouth. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come and has redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Before I keep reading, what I want you to know about this song and the rest of the songs we're going to be looking at this month, you're looking at one of the very first songs the early church sang. This is, this is the song of Zechariah that we, that we call Benedictus was one of the first songs of the early church singing these words. I'm going to talk about the implication of that and the importance of that in a little bit. He goes on and he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising... How about this? Focus here. Look at this. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. What Zechariah just realized is that Malachi, in a period of darkness and a period of silence, is coming to a close. We're coming into a new era, and he just quoted Malachi. The sun has come. Light has come. God's grace has come back to us. And that's what he's singing about. The, um, this song, the reason it's so beautiful, is because of what we talked about in class this morning. Have you ever felt like the Old Testament, or let's just say the Bible as a whole, was distant from you? Did you know that one of the most discouraging things I ever went through as a Christian, and when I really struggled in believing in God at all, was not time away from the Word, but it was actually the early years of time in the Word. Nothing discouraged me in my walk with God more than reading the Bible. And the reason why is because I read a book full of stories of a God who was close to his people. A God who walked with Enoch. A God who was, was, David was a man after his own heart. He parted waters. He stood in the fire with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. This is a God who was close to his people and I didn't feel the connection. And I know that some of you have been there before too. It's the more I read a book about this God that's close to his people. Where are you in my life? And if I read these stories, I grow up with these stories of all of these great heroes. It just becomes a historical account. Something in the past, but irrelevant to me. Because I'm not connecting. And that's one of the things that was important when we talked about the book of Job and other things this morning is, is this really something that I can relate to and connect with? Has this been realized? And what... Paul and Peter and some of the early disciples realized was everything in the Old Testament that they had read and studied all of their lives was being fleshed out in Jesus Christ. That Moses was really, as beautiful as the story is, is really a story to point you to Jesus. All of the stories of the Old Testament really could be argued. There are very few that do not point to Jesus, point to the Messiah, and point to what that means for my life. In a time... Um, about 1,700 years later, um, uh, someone wrote this poem that I want to share with you, and I think it's extremely profound, talking about um, the grace of God. Let me share these words with you. I'm a vile and polluted lump of earth, so I've continued ever since my birth. Although Jehovah's grace does daily give me, as sure the monster Satan will deceive me. Come, therefore... Lord, for Satan's claws relieve me. From Satan's claws relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and grace divine impart. Then search and try the corners of my heart, that I and all things may be fit to do service to thee and sing thy praises too. That's rich. Now, that was written by a seven-year-old boy. And it's an acronym. That was his name right there. First thing he ever wrote at seven years old were these words. Now, Isaac Watts, uh, give you some facts about his life that are just crazy. It, it, first, it made me love him, and then it made me not 
like him. He learned Latin at age four, Greek at age nine, French at 10, Hebrew at 13. The first language is cute. Then it's like, get away from a kid. He was a prodigy. He was a genius. Um, he lived at home until his early 20s. His father, his mother and father had been arrested, put to, uh, gone to jail because they were, they were considered to be nonconformists in the church. Uh, they went to what was called Mark Lane Independent Chapel in London. After going to school and obviously becoming a, um, an amazing scholar, he came back home because um, after they had asked, they, they wanted to ordain him for the church in England, but um, because he was nonconformist, he, he refused. He went back home. So now you have a 20-year-old arrogant prodigy that is living at home, and the preacher must have hated him. The song leaders, I'm not sure, cared for him either because he hated the songs of the church. And every day he would come home and complain. It's, it's written in the, historically that he could not wait to get home to complain about the church's singing. They sang from the Scottish Psalter. I want to tell you what the Scottish Psalter is. There was a time in the church, I'm going to bring this back to Luke here in a, in a moment, but there was a time in the church where you couldn't simply write a song and bring it to church and say, let's sing this on Sunday. Um, though in, in the Lutheran tradition, they had been singing hymns for about a hundred years, and the Calvinist tradition, especially at this time in England and Scotland, um, you were only allowed to sing inspired hymns. In other words, you were only allowed to sing what they called exclusive psalmody. You would sing the psalms. And most of those had very simple rhyme and meter to them, and written uh, sometime just about a hundred years before Isaac Watts, the Scottish Psalter is what most of the churches sang. So they took the hymns of the songs and they put them to simple rhyme. This is an example. I just used Psalm 1. Now this is cute, but it would get old. The man hath perfect blessedness who walketh not astray, and counsel love ungodly men, nor standeth sinner's way, nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law and meditates on his law day and night. He shall be like a tree that grows near planted water, which in its season yields his fruit, and his leaf fadeth never. It goes on. They sang all the psalms like that. Now, if you ever get to where you're complaining about songs in the church, this would wear on you. This would get old. And Isaac Watts went to church and listened to this, and he just said, man, not only uh, is this not being very fair to the Hebrew language, but it's not being fair to my ears either. I can't listen to this. So his dad said what any wise dad would say to his son. Son, we're not going to sit here and whine. We're not going to sit here and complain. You write something for the church. You write something for people to listen to. Isaac Watts turned around and he wrote 600 hymns. Here's some facts you might not know about Isaac Watts. He also published 52 books. Books on logic that were used in universities. Books on grammar, education, ethics, psychology. He even wrote books on astronomy and geography. I don't need to tell you that a boy like this was not attractive to girls. <laughs> he never got married. <laughs> it's written about him that um, he was a 
very short man with a big head and a hooked nose. But he became a hero and considered the father of of English um, hymns. But the reason I wanted to share his point, his song with you this morning, he wrote Joy to the World. And I want to talk about those lyrics in just a moment. He also wrote my favorite song, um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And it means more to me that it comes from him because of the young prodigy that knew that many languages, that wrote that many books. How about the close of that song? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He said, when I survey the cross, he he says this, it makes me pour contempt on all of my pride. I love the story of Isaac Watts, and I love the man that he was. But he wrote what was the most published Christmas song of the 20th century, Joy to the World. It was not written to be a Christmas song, nor is it a Christmas song. It was written about what the Christ came to bring the world and what the Christ would accomplish. See, in Isaac Watts' time, they would read the Psalms, but they would just read the Psalms and they didn't talk enough about the Christ of the Psalms. And so when he created songs and when he wrote music, he actually built all of his songs off of the Psalms. Joy to the World is based on Psalm 98. We, we heard that read this morning. He wrote his, his music based on the Psalms, but then he brought out the Christ of the Psalms. He found it fleshing itself out in their time, in their place. These are the words uh, to joy to the world. Joy to the world. Oh, by the way, I did not have the melody that you're familiar with. That came way later from Handel's Messiah. I'm not sure what the original melody would have been, but just listen to the words. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. The reason I love that is because it's what his dad told him to do. Don't sit in church and complain, son. Use your gifts. Use your talents. Employ them, right? While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat that sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's referring to the curse of Genesis 3. Don't let that happen anymore. He comes to make his blessings flow far as that curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. What, what he came to understand, what Isaac Watts came to understand in his time, in his day, was that the promises of the Old Testament, the promises of the Messiah, the promises of Christ were a reality for him. They weren't just history. They weren't just the songs that he would sing. They were something that was, had fleshed itself out in him, and he had no other option but to express that through joy in his life. He writes about going to church and seeing people dead, singing hymns that they weren't connecting with, singing to a God that they weren't connecting with. And all of a sudden, he realized that was him too. And he realized the, he realized the importance of the gospel in his life and exactly what it meant. Zechariah was being played out again in Isaac Watts. Life. 
I saw a video this last week that I almost played for you this morning, but I know we had another video. A uh, church put it out, and it's gone viral, but it's really, really a beautiful message. It was sort of a Thanksgiving message. And it, it starts out with a, a guy that's laying in bed, and he's wrapped in wrapping paper. And he wakes up, and he unwraps himself, and he celebrates one more day. And then he gets up, and his cereal bowl is wrapped in wrapping paper, and he and he's thankful for food. And it, it, it goes through, and you kind of get the idea, it goes through his daily routine that, that normally is monotonous. And how he became thankful and grateful for every single thing in his life. Everything that he had been given. He's like, my God, I've got another day. My God, my wife is still here. My God, my car is still in the driveway. My God, I get to have a job. And all of a sudden, life became something joyful for him. Because he saw it as it is. That's what happened with Zechariah. Um, Peter says this. Um, and I, I, I don't want to, well, I might misquote it, so I hope I get this right. He says this, um, We've had the law and the prophets made more certain to us, and you do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your heart. Until that time where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the birth of Jesus Christ and all of this becomes no longer history. This is now reality. This is now the life and the world that I live in. Um, over the next coming weeks, um, I'm excited um, each week to kind of focus on a different one of these hymns. Um, I want you to study ahead of me. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at Simeon's song which has the coolest and strangest title ever. It's called Nunc Dimittis, which sounds really intelligent, but what I, lo- I love what it means. You can dismiss me now. I'm ready to go. I've waited all my life to see the Messiah. This can be Simeon's song. And now I'm ready to go home because my eyes have seen the salvation of God. Um, I want to close with a prayer of blessing over the family here and over your family here. Um, I pray that what happened in Zechariah's life, what happened in Isaac Watts' life and through him, I pray that that would be reignited in hearts today and in lives today. That um, you're going about your casual routine The Bible is a history book. All of this, you're familiar with the songs, but all of a sudden the day dawns. The morning star rises in your heart and you're filled with that kind of joy that causes you to express gratitude to God. Um, Job, in the midst of intense suffering, said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll go back to the earth. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away but I'll bless the name of the Lord. In his suffering, Benedictus, I'll bless you. Zechariah, filled with hope, Benedictus, I will bless you. And whatever my circumstances, Benedictus, I will bless you. Father, I just want to come before you and I pray that that spirit is alive in us today. Uh, God, that uh, this is more to us than Christmas trees and presents that it's so beautiful to stop and focus on a God who brought light to a world of darkness and brought hope to a world of despair. 
And I pray, Father, that the same realization and joy that filled Zechariah's heart and that filled Isaac Watt's heart will fill your body today. That we would recognize how deep your grace is. How deep your love is. Um, how far-reaching your arm is. And um, instill in us a spirit of, of thanksgiving and joy. In the name of Christ, we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.